Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Thanks for being here with us this morning. Uh, before before we jump in, I'm just going to open with a reading. We are in Matthew chapter 5, and every time that we are going to be talking about one of these Beatitudes, we're going to read them as a whole. So uh, you can follow along, along on the screen, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. So it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, great to see your faces on this beautiful October weekend. I, I was saying to a couple of people yesterday that it, it doesn't really feel like October. I guess the slightly chillier mornings, but the, the sunshine... We haven't really had any rain. It's like this is not my, the typical Vancouver experience, but I'm, I'm grateful for it. We, made, uh, we were moving yesterday, my parents. And so uh, moving in the snow or in the rain versus in the sunshine, dramatically different experiences. And if you know firsthand, moving at all is not that fun. So uh, we'll, we'll take the blessings where they come. Uh, my family last Sunday had, had two Thanksgiving d- dinners. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying that we were dealing with the overdose of, of turkey a couple days later, and I hope that you recovered as well. If this is your first time here at City Collective, uh, my name is Jason. I'm really glad that you're able to be here this morning. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here, and we say this every week, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure about Jesus at all, we hope this is a safe place for you to consider and discover who Jesus might actually be. As indicated in the scripture that we opened our time with, uh, we are in the Gospel according to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and we have been working our way through, and last week was the beginning of chapter 5, which is the beginning of Jesus' most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount. And he begins with, with the Beatitudes, and these Beatitudes are, are worth considering and looking at, and, and last week we were looking at the first three verses in particular, and in particular, verse 3 says, the poor in spirit. And we were looking at what their call was for us as individuals. This, this call to humility and seeing the whispers of pride and how they can sabotage us from participating in the kingdom that we're invited into. Over the upcoming weeks, we're going to be looking at individual beatitudes, and we're going to have some guest speakers who are going to speak to specific ones that are meaningful to them. So this week, we're going to do a little bit of a jump, and we're going to be going to verse 7 in particular. Uh, If you noted when we were reading it together, verse 7 speaks of the merciful. 
and to be shown mercy. And I don't know if you noticed it even as you were reading, but the very first beatitude and as it progresses, the form of it changes a little bit as well because it says, for theirs is the kingdom versus it says, for they will be shown mercy. And in doing so, I think the question it actually provokes is, is an honest one. Do we actually think mercy is conditional? And who deserves it, really, if that's the case? I think the Christian life is, is outlined in the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus for us to consider and, and adhere to in many ways. It's coherent, it's all-embracing, and the citizens of heaven are, are called by God to first consider their motives and how it impacts our workplaces, our, our classrooms, our families, our households. It's not supposed to be uh, a segmented approach to living, but it's supposed to be all-encompassing and a part of everything that we do. But we know firsthand these things that Jesus is talking about is really difficult to do in every space that we're in. I think there's, there's moments in relationships that we, we develop that it might feel a little more comfortable to be, to be merciful or to be humble. But then we get into a conversation with, with so-and-so that has done such a thing at such a time, and mercy does not seem like even a possibility that's on the table. But the Beatitudes are meant to be for everything, all the time, for everyone. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you want to participate in the kingdom of God, this is the way that he is outlining it for us. I want to invite you this morning to even consider for yourself, what would it look like if I was to actually participate in all areas of my life, in all of the ways that Jesus is presenting? And what does it mean to be blessed? Last week we talked about a little bit that the word blessed is not actually maybe the default understanding that we're used to in the biblical narrative. Often is, it is tied to the idea of divine favor from God, but in this specific context, it is more along the lines of uh, maybe an equivalent translation is, is fortunate, or let's throw a party, or congratulations, or this idea of, of happiness that God makes us happy. To, it's ha we're happy to be with God. It's as if Jesus is saying that the life that I want to invite you into is full of profound joy that life and all of its circumstances cannot take from you. And this blessedness is not reserved for some day ahead, but it's re reserved for the here and now. All these things, easier said than actually put into practice. And I think there's actually some confusing pulls that Jesus makes to what we do on a regular basis. Because I think especially when we consider this verse in verse 7, when we talk about the idea of mercy, I think we like the concept of it to be generous with ourselves, to, to be merciful and kind in a way that's forgiving to one another. But what does our culture actually move towards? I think we live in an age where people are actually so easily offended, and every time we experience offense and hurt, where does our mind go towards? Well, we feel compelled to make sure that others understand how they were wrong. And, and the narrative that we kind of create around it is we say that this is justice. And I'm not trying to say that justice is not part of the kingdom of God. In fact, justice is a high priority in the kingdom of God. But justice for the purpose of revenge is very different than justice for the purpose of mercy. 
what is flowing out of our justice that God is trying to invite us to participate in. But the age and the culture that we live in is very much like a, a karma-based thinking. You, you, get in, you get out what you put in, or you get what's coming to you. And this is how we orient our lives and have conversations and, and build our initiatives and have ambitions. Everything is based around, I'm going to produce what I put into my life. And we so easily actually forget about mercy. But when we are becoming followers of Jesus and disciples, we are called to a different way. And just as God's gift of grace does not count our sins against us, we should no longer count the sins of others against them. What's your internal reaction to that? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it like wariness of like, you don't really know what they've done to me? I know I feel that in moments. It's easy for you to say from a platform with a mic, but you don't actually know what's taken place in that conversation or in that relationship. In fact, do you ever feel justified in your anger? This person's been a thorn in my side for a long, long time. You should hear what they said. You should know what they did. You would very quickly move away from this stance of mercy. What this beatitude actually does is this. It, it reveals the ideals of the kingdom of God, but it also reveals where I wrestle with God's ideals. And they actually vividly point out to me where I need Jesus. Because as I come to Jesus, I receive mercy. And hopefully, transformation begins. Now, very practically, uh, mercy can be looked at, or being merciful can be looked at from probably two different connotations. First, we are to be merciful to those who are in need, like the victim in the parable of, of the Good Samaritan. And secondly, we're to be merciful to those who have wronged us. This is opposite to what we often see happening in the world around us, and this is because mercy is a divine quality. It's a characteristic of God himself, and Yet it's a word that's like really easily thrown out. I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Full House growing up. There's like a Fuller House now on Netflix. I have not watched that one. Um, but I did have Full House be a show that we watched growing up. And there was Uncle Jesse who always showed up with his, his slick back hair. And he always tossed around the word mercy whenever he saw a beautiful woman. Have mercy. It was just a, a word that he just threw out there. Every epic sports game pregame speech always is like, show no mercy. That's, a, that's the battlefield cry. Uh, even uh, there's this famous quote from George S. Patton, and he says, may God have mercy upon my enemies because I won't. Why, why do we approach mercy like this? In a haphazard manner, in a, in a, in a way that kind of belittles it or tosses it to the side. Well, I think it's because of the association of what we would partner with mercy, and it's, we see it as weakness. You're going to get yourself taken advantage of. 
You won't be successful in life. And in a cutthroat world, maybe you can be a little bit kind in business, but mercy will get you killed. This is our actual association of mercy. Like I said, I think we like the concept of it, but actually living it out seems like a far than possible reality. What do we hear more often? Well, they got what they deserved. And this morning, I want you to know that God blesses things that the world often despises and dismisses. And I think the world actually despises mercy. Because mercy, when someone else does it, seems kind of nice, and we applaud it, and we actually maybe will we'll contribute some finances towards it. But when mercy comes as a personal decision that I have to have a cost towards, we are quick to move away from it. We don't really appreciate mercy. I want to define mercy as this. Mercy consists of treating people better than they deserve from us. And at the heart of God and his dealings with his people, you will find mercy. I really want to hit this home. God wants us to be a merciful people. Uh, my wife and I are watching the Rings of Power right now. I don't know if you are as well. But I'm a, I've always loved Lord of the Rings. I've always loved the, the writings of Tolkien. And the, the Two Towers has perhaps the, the greatest battle scene ever put to film at Helm's Deep. And there are 10,000 Urukai making their way on Saruman's behalf to take, out, take on 1,000 Rohinian at Helm's Deep, and it looks like the odds are dramatically against them. And Aragorn, the king-to-be, stands and looks at the troops in front of him, and he says to them, show them no mercy, for you shall receive none. So here's the caveat. If you are about to face 10,000 Urukai from Soromon's hand, then you follow the words of Aragorn, and show no mercy. Otherwise, if we are followers of Jesus, we are to show mercy. Might feel like sometimes we're about to face 10,000 Urukai, but even that mercy is asked of us. When I think of the practical impact or execution of mercy, what are the associations that maybe come to your mind? Forgiveness, kindness, generosity, and this can come about in a lot of different ways because mercy doesn't have to simply be someone has wronged you and then you forgive them. It could be, I'm going to actually aid others in attaining their best outcomes regardless of how we feel about them. That's mercy. Or uh, you're the first contestant or, or person, person to go through uh, a process at work and you notice that this particular area is difficult and generosity in that moment is letting your your co-workers your other contestants know what was difficult ahead of time even if it doesn't benefit yourself that this is this is the outworking of mercy in practical ways but when we don't intentionally engage in it like this how easy is it for us to be like i'm just going to think about myself i'm just going to actually keep that to myself i need to make sure that i take care of myself because if i don't my life will not get better. I will not be successful, and I will not be able to pursue what I wanted to pursue. Like I said, this is easier said than done. 
And Jesus, even he recognizes this. He talks about this in the parables. He talks about being merciful. But he also talks about it in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, he tells the parable of a servant who owed a great debt to his master. What it actually was is close to 15 years wages worth of debt that he owed to the master at the time. And he he wasn't able to pay it. And so he went and he made a request of the master for more time to make the payment. And the response of the master was not that he would just get more time, but that the debt was covered. It was no longer required of him in full. In response, this servant then went out of the presence of the master looking for another servant that owed him a one year's wages of worth of wages. And he demanded the payment to the point of having the other servant thrown in prison. And the response of the master when he heard this news is, should you have not shown mercy to your fellow servant as I have shown to you? Mercy requires a source. And in the life, of te- life and teachings of Jesus, there are some ideas of mercy that I want to flesh out for us this morning. I'm going to break it down to three different areas. And first of all, out of this parable from Jesus, I want us to just recognize, first and foremost, mercy is found when we are close to the master. One of the most powerful indicators of intimacy with God is a life consisting of mercy. Even within this story, what we see is that when the servant leaves the presence of the master, he seems to forget the gift of mercy that was given to him, and so he was not able to give it to others. Sometimes our forgetfulness of mercy that is showed to us is because we have lost the weight of the mercy that was actually given. In Romans chapter 1, Paul, he speaks about the wrath of God being directed toward wickedness in humanity. And Paul describes the nature of the unraveling of humanity. And and he begins with idolatry. He talks about sexual immorality. And he ends all of it by actually making the final thing that he communicates about the unraveling of humanity being mercilessness. Does idolatry and mercilessness fall on the same bingo card for you? It might be that we have forgotten the importance of mercy that we have stopped acting in a merciful fashion. We might have forgotten it, but the reality is uh, mercilessness is not subtle. There's a vicar out of uh, St. Aldate's Chapel in Oxford, and it's by the name of Simon Ponsby, and he's, he's an uh, individual that really studies Nazism, and he was looking at the ways in which they lived out this idea of mercilessness within their, their paradigms. One of the themes he finds over and over again in numerous speeches, memes, motifs, and it floats around throughout Nazism was show no mercy. Youth were brought up and they repeated this phrase over and over again, show no mercy, show no mercy. And in in an infamous speech by Hitler in 1939 to his commanders as they were about to invade Poland was kill without pity and mercy all men, women, and children of Polish descent and language. 
1941 when they turned against Russia and they said our war against Russia is one of ideological and racial differences and will have to be conducted with unprecedented, unrelenting, and unmerciful harshness. Evil shows no mercy. And evil is not subtle about it. Isn't it fascinating how our culture presents mercy and weakness as partners? But when the moment comes where we experience that outrage, my question for you is to whom do you draw close to? Because mercy is found when we come close to God. But revenge will be easily found when we turn our back. Mercy doesn't come easy. The second thing I want you to note is mercy is a mark of the master. I need you to to hold on to this with everything that you have. Often when people consider the nature of God or they look at the God of the Old Testament or they look at the scriptures, sometimes because of our experience in church or our experience of faith, we associate God as not being a merciful one. But we need to remember that even in this parable, when the servant comes to the master, did the master have to forgive him? No, but the master chose to forgive him, chose to actually give him more than what he deserved, more than what he asked for. And this isn't an isolated moment to reveal God's characteristic of mercy. This is an ongoing theme of the merciful nature of God. But we need a source from which to draw from. I notice this every time. When I go through a Tim Hortons drive-thru and someone is so gracious and they pay for me in front of me, uh, I always have this thought go through my mind afterwards. It's like, should I pay for the person who's next? I, I probably should. Am I a bad person if I just receive the gift that is this, this $1.29 donut or whatever it is? Like, or should I, should I pass it on? Sometimes mercy has to start from somewhere else in order to be prompted within us for the next person that we meet. Because I'm not thinking about paying for the person behind me all the time. But I think about the pers- paying for the person behind me every time someone pays for me in front of me. We need to know first and foremost, if we are to be a merciful people, we need to first and foremost understand that God is a merciful God to us. Over 400 times in the scripture, we see that God is merciful. And do we believe that mercy is is conditional? Well, I think the answer to this question lies in the reminder that we see about the way of the master because God's mercy is not conditional. God's mercy actually came first. It came over and above. It It was not corrupted by the moment. It was not reactive. It was directing. It was leading. It was the thing that created change within the servant in that moment. So, so he had an opportunity that was given to him to, to live out of the mercy that was given to him. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the characteristic of God. Even in the Old Testament, in Exodus 25, 17, Moses is given the prompt to build the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant would be the place, this locus, where the Spirit of God would occupy as they went place to place as the people of God, the people of Israel. 
and he gave a very specific design scheme of what the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to look like. And what he actually notes is there is an inscription that would lie on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and what it would say is that this is the seat of mercy. This was the mercy seat. When people would come to the Ark of the Covenant, the the place where they discovered God's presence was, the thing that God wanted them to see first and foremost about himself was that God was a merciful one. We need to know and hold on to that source of mercy. And that brings us to the third idea of mercy this morning. The mark of God is mercy. Therefore, the mark of the disciple must be the mark of the master. Mercy makes us like Christ. Because the truth is, we cannot give mercy to others until we begin to get grasp the vast mercy that is shown to us. When our hands are full of God's mercy, I guarantee you it is an overflow that we begin to live out of. So in order to show mercy, we need to understand the way that Jesus does it. How does Jesus go about showing mercy? Well, the thing that maybe we can grab hold of the most is the manner in which Jesus shows mercy is he gets close to those offended who have offended or hurt him. He shows us that mercy is only possible when we are in close proximity to others. Because it's not mercy what God does in Jesus. In Jesus, in the most literal sense, God gets inside the skin of a man. He came as a man. He came seeing things with the the eyes of humankind, feeling things that we have felt, thinking things that we have felt. And God does all of this to, to show mercy. If you're trying to understand what is the best way for you to begin the journey of being a merciful person, you need to start getting close to people in a way that begins to look at the world to where, through their eyes, where they are at. I always notice that when I'm watching a, a movie or a TV show, I love watching the behind the scenes afterwards, especially with some of these like big productions and all of the detail that goes into it. I find that I appreciate what I have seen or experienced in a different way when I've seen the process that has gone into it. I appreciate the people that have been a part of it. I appreciate the story that's being told. And often, mercy doesn't feel possible because we are not seeing the situation through the eyes of the person who's maybe offended us or hurt us. We're seeing it simply through our own hurt. So it's impossible to actually bring mercy to the table. This is precisely what many of us need to start to do today. Are you actually making a deliberate effort to get inside the other person's mind and heart until you see and feel things as they see and feel them? Are you only able to empathize or feel sadness for someone else's situation when you consider it in the context of yours? 
my, my wife, she makes fun of me all the time when we watch Bollywood movies because Bollywood movies, they have this consistent theme of like this like father-son narrative and I would always get teary about it, like every time. And he's like fake slapping him across the room and I'm like, oh, it's so, so dramatic, it hurts so much. Um, but I, I noticed that I was able to experience it because I was putting it through the filter of myself. I, I was always thinking about what is the relationship with my father like? I, I was only able to feel it because I was putting it through my own filter. And unfortunately, this is how we deal with all hurt and harm that we often experience. I will only show empathy or experience sadness for another if I can process it as something that I would experience. And if I don't think it is worth being sad about, I don't, if I don't think it's actually that hard, you do not deserve my empathy, my mercy, or my kindness. We are quick to write off mercy and forgiveness and kindness if we don't believe it was actually that difficult or actually that hard or that situation was deserved of that response. When we only view people through our own eyes, mercy easily disappears. When we only view people through our own eyes, mercy easily disappears. But when we enter into the stories of others, mercy can overflow. It's this virtuous cycle that starts to take place. That I've received mercy from God and I begin to show it to others. But if you remember the end of the beatitude, it says, for they shall be shown mercy. Because when we begin to see where people are coming from, that we get inside of their thoughts and, and their intentions and where they're experiencing life, we will show mercy and be shown mercy. And that this virtuous cycle begins to live itself out and we begin to see healing take place and, and it spreads and it's contagious. Mercy is a contagious element of the kingdom of God. It's this divine property that, that spreads rapidly and exponentially to a people that are willing to live into that first mercy that is shown to them. We need the, the virtuous first mercy from God. But once we receive that and show that, there's more that comes from it. Because this is what God did. He came to men not as the remote, detached, isolated, majestic God, but as a man. And therefore, this beatitude is calling us that those who wish to participate in the kingdom are those who, get, who draw close to those who are undeserving of mercy. That those who participate in the kingdom are a merciful people. Worship team, you can join me at the front. No one is looking for you to have a solution to every problem this morning. You might be thinking to yourself, I'm not a leader, I don't have influence, I don't, I'm not a spiritually significant person. And you might feel grieved by what's going on in our city and you're wondering, what, how can I be part of that? How can I institute change? How, well, I think it starts in the small places that we're a part of. Can you identify a relationship 
where you almost believe that there is no mercy that is possible, that they don't deserve it, and can you extend mercy because you have discovered the mercy given to you by a merciful God? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We need the source of mercy to come outside of ourselves and the response of our lives to be born from that. In a karma-based culture, a mercy-first approach demands change. Dallas Willard, he says that a disciple is someone who is learning by going through the process of change. We need to learn to be quick to extend forgiveness and live from forgiveness because we found Jesus. So the ways to make mercy our first response Get close to God. Remember the mercy of God. And see every person as a gift from God. This kind of mercy may cost you an advantage over another. But the underlying reality of it all is that mercy benefits someone beyond yourself. I think we can all draw to mind someone that we feel a certain way about. We can't even consider the idea of mercy. My prompt to you this morning is not to just go home and send them a text message like, I forgive you. My prompt, my prompt to you right now is it has to begin within our hearts. Would you actually invite the merciful Savior of the universe into that broken situation, that broken relationship, and ask him, would you show me your way of mercy? Would you heal my heart? I want to be more like you, and I need your help. merciful God will find you. Let me reframe that merciful beatitude for us as we close. Congratulations. Happy are those who get right inside other people, who can see with their eyes, think their thoughts, feel their feelings, for they honor the image of God in each and every person and discover others do the same to them. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for the people that are drawn to the forefront of our minds as we talk about mercifulness and, and being mercilessness, for, for the, the way that it it frustrates us and makes us uncomfortable. Just pray your peace and your comfort come in. Thank you for this invitation to be as you are, merciful and generous to those we believe do not deserve it. For the the ways those relationships are rooted within us. And that 
the impossible manner it, it seems to, to linger upon our hearts and minds. I pray for freedom in this house. Freedom for each and every person to not be held down by, by bitterness or resentment, by shame or guilt, by anger or revenge. Let those roots be pulled up in Jesus' name and let us discover the mercy that you have given to us and live from that source. May we be a merciful people. May we push back against this karma-based culture that we find ourselves in and to demonstrate the kingdom of God and the mercy that we bring to our families, to our schools, to our workplaces, to the places that we are going in, in, in malls and driving place to place. Let the reactionary moments of our life begin to look more like you, Jesus. Our flesh struggles with mercy, but your spirit invites us into it. Give us an opportunity today where revenge or to be right or to tell someone we're right rises up within us. Pause us. Pause our hearts and our minds and give us that reminder of the mercy you've given to us and may we have the boldness and the courage to walk that out. To be more like you. That is our heart's cry this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.